All right, another weekend is here. Loving it. First, though, Disability Law Show. Thank you so much for sticking around for the next uh, 30 minutes or so. Savannah Tamarkin here, of course, and Firu Tamarkin LLP. You want to reach out to Savannah and his team anytime you have questions beyond what you learn on this show or if we get to your email a little later on as well. You can do so toll-free, always, 1-855-821-5900. It's disabilityrights.ca for the website or the email reach out is help at disabilityrights.ca. Uh, main topic for uh, tonight's show three hidden injuries from an accident and what kind of compensation you can get from them uh, for them anyway that's going to be a, a key topic for sure three of them we're going to go through those shortly savan but we always kick things off get it warmed up here on a friday with the other uh, week that was pal what do you got going on hey john good to be with you and our listeners let me start off by telling you about um, a call i got from a former client of mine somebody i had helped about 10 years ago or so and you know by the way that tells you something that people still remember and they have my number handy Uh, people come to us not just for the issues that we deal with disability injury law and employment law but if they need a you know a recommendation for other kinds of lawyers you know we're connected we know who's good out there so uh, but he contacted me because of an injury it's an injury to his wife Uh, and here's what happened uh, last weekend, as everybody knows, was the long weekend, Canada uh, long weekend, Canada Day. Uh, so he was on his way to their family cottage with his wife and two kids in the back. And uh, they were on one of the major highways, uh, I think it was the 400, anyways, going north, cottage country. Tons of traffic, obviously. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, there are people who just don't pay attention to traffic and are in a hurry to get to their destination. Long story short, we're talking about a very hard rear-end collision. Uh, they're driving a sedan, and behind them was this massive SUV, and it just barreled into them. And it was a significant accident. Police came on scene. Ambulance came on scene. He was okay. Luckily, the kids were okay too, but his wife uh, suffered uh, some injuries. But it's an interesting scenario here. So I, I just want to really explain that because this does happen. And we're dealing with uh, a pre-existing condition. And what happens in the case of an injury to a pre-existing condition that you may have if that's exacerbated or there is a re-injury? How does that get treated and, and what happens? So so this lady is 55 years old, his wife. She, she works as a teller at a major grocery chain. So she's on her feet. Uh, a few weeks back, either a few weeks back or a month back, something like that, she had knee uh, replacement surgery. So she's still recouping. She's still in a, in a kind of precarious state. She has difficulty with her right knee. Uh, and long story short, because of this accident, she had uh, hit her, her right knee uh, on the dashboard. She was just pushed forward. And you can just imagine what that did you know, to her knee. There was a significant re-injury, according to the doctors. Uh, and they're now talking about what's going to happen. You know, are they going to have to operate again? Uh, are they going to need to just see what happens? I don't actually know. I don't know that she knows necessarily what is going to happen uh, soon. But the point is that now, you know, if before she was on a course to be better and back on her feet within a matter of weeks or maybe a few months with rehab, now, I mean, you're talking about a completely different path. Uh, there is concerns now about permanency. There's concern about whether they need to operate, put hardware in, mobility in the future. Now, she's 55, right? I said that. She's working as a teller uh, for over 10 years. So this is going to impact her time off work as well as being able to return to work, you know, on the timeline that she had spoken to her employer about. And of course, you know, her husband called me, obviously they're very, very upset and angry, and he just wants to understand what can be done, what needs to be done. I said, number one, 
medical issues aside, I'm not a doctor, on the legalities, look, whoever hit you, the person be, that was driving that SUV, they're at fault, 100%, not even a question. So the question is damages here. And to understand damages in the context of a car accident, we need to look at you know the case holistically. A lot of lawyers, unfortunately, when they assess these kinds of claims, don't necessarily take everything into account. And, and you need experience for that. Luckily for me, I've also worked for the insurance industry many, many years ago, so I was on the other side of these kinds of claims. That's right. So, so what happens in this case is that, number one, she's going to be entitled to certain accident benefits from her own insurance company, the insurance company that was insuring their own vehicle where she was in. We're talking about things like income replacement, potentially, that she's entitled to up to $400 a week. We're talking about uh, potentially uh, uh, medical and rehabilitation expenses, maybe attendant care up to $60,000, and maybe other benefits as well. So there's certain benefits that she's entitled to, irrespective of who's at fault. It's called no-fault benefits. But there is another claim, which is against the SUV driver, which is going to be, I think, a more substantial claim here. For that, we need to understand the scope of the re-injury and what's going to happen in the future. Imagine, imagine, you know, if you look at these Marvel, you know, Marvel movies, when you have divergence in time, where you have one timeline and then you have another timeline, it's sort of like that. So, but for the accident, we have to envision where would she have been? What would have been her mobility like, her health like, her employment situation like, you know, going back to work? after the knee replacement, when would that have happened from what we understand? And then now that we've had this accident, there is a divergence, there's a different timeline, there's a different path. What is that delta? Is she now going to you know, be delayed by a year going back to work? Is she now going to be delayed by six months? Is she ever gonna be able to go back to work? Is she gonna need help around the house in the long term that she would otherwise not have needed because of these complications? So all these things factor in, and you can have a case like this where she already had you know, a, a, an issue with her knee, but the problem is that now because of this re-injury, she was in a vulnerable state before, now she's in a much worse off state, and maybe she was not going to be able to recover or recover as well. Well, what is that worth? We got to look at pain and suffering. We got to look at potential income loss. Yeah. This kind of case, assuming that she in fact has difficulty going back to worth, could be worth hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in terms of pain and suffering, income losses, future treatments she may need, help around the home, maybe modifications if she has issues with mobility. So very important to understand that when we're looking at these claims, you know, we have to really assess the entirety of the situation. I can tell you the insurance company for the SUV driver is going to take a different position. They're going to say there was a pre-existing knee condition. But I mean, let's use common sense here. Yes, there was a pre-existing condition, but now there is a different timeline. This SUV driver caused this injury, this re-injury, which now sets her on a different path. And it's about figuring out what that path is. And that does take time. But again, something that we help with and do each and every day. So anybody out there in a situation unfortunate as this or any other situation where you're injured or someone else is injured, someone else was at fault for that injury, we can help you understand what your rights are and potentially get you the compensation that you and your family are entitled to. It's so, it's, I mean, that illustrates perfectly why, you know, when you hear these cases of people have something like this and someone comes and offers them, you know, 10 or 15 grand to go away mm. and keep it quiet. But man, you got to drill down to the forensics of all the different things that they might be, have coming to them. And only you guys can do that and know how to do that. So it's, it's a scary situation just to blindly go into this, right? Well, that's exactly the case. And that happens all the time, John. You're absolutely right. In fact, I, I expect that the insurance company for the SUV that caused the accident will contact uh, you know, the lady that was injured here and, and my former client, 
and potentially try and get some medical documentation, which again, you know, at your own peril, would you provide this medical documentation, the, these private records to an opposing insurance company? You have to be very careful with what you give them. They're not entitled to everything. They're entitled to certain things if you're going to make a claim, but not everything. So people necessarily don't necessarily know what they have to produce and what they don't. Uh, and besides that, you're absolutely right. Insurance company will often try and strike a deal without a lawyer being present in the picture. I've had cases before where I came in at the nick of time, not because it was me, because a member of the family had reached out to me, and as soon as I got involved, I understood that the person that was injured was about to make a deal for a 20th or a 30th, I'm, t I'm talking about a fraction of the amount of money that ultimately they would be entitled to, because the insurance company understands very well the worth of these claims, the value. But they're not in the business of giving you the money you deserve. Insurance companies are in the business of either not paying you, right, or paying you as little as possible while collecting as much as they can by way of premiums and whatever else. So that's the model we're dealing with. That's how insurance companies operate. They're not your friend. They're not. They are there. I'm not going to use the bad language that I would like to use, John, but they're there not to, uh, you know, not to treat you the way you're supposed to be treated. Uh, they're there to save money, to make money for their shareholders, for their people, etc. Uh, so you do need someone on your side to explain to you the full picture, to explain to you what you're entitled to. And again, it can be tricky. Not every lawyer understands how these claims operate. Not every lawyer understands how insurance companies operate, and certainly not any lawyer has the not every lawyer has the experience and firepower by way of like in, uh, I'm talking about resources like our firm has to advance these against the insurance company and telling the insurance company we're not going away until you pay our clients uh, what's fair and and what their claims are uh, truly valued at. Again, reach out. First step is to make that phone call before you take a take another step. It could be a could be a bad one to your peril. As uh, Savan says, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Mention the main topic. We'll get into a start of this before we take a break, and that is three hidden injuries from an accident and what kind of compensation you can get for them. Number one uh, would be chronic pain, I guess. Right, sir. Yeah, chronic pain is a very common thing. And when we talk about invisible kind of injuries uh, from accidents, they're not truly invisible, but I use that term, or hidden even. I use that term because insurance companies are often suspect. So when you say I have back pain, but you go and do an x-ray or you do an MRI and it's not showing anything or it's not showing anything that in the insurance company's mind justifies the level of disability that you are claiming or, or, or pain that you're claiming, you know, you can say these are hidden injuries. Now, there are various reasons to explain this. I mean, I've had back pains, I've had headaches, things that otherwise you wouldn't see anything on imaging. Maybe you don't see anything on imaging, right, diagnostics, because medicine is not advanced enough. In other words, there are some things, as we develop more technology, medical technology, we have better and better tests, we have better and better equipment, and you can diagnose certain types of injuries. But the reality is there are many people with chronic pain, we know that as a fact, courts have accepted that, and insurance companies often ignore the impact of chronic pain on a person, on a person's ability to work, on a person's ability to function, etc. And there are chronic pain cases from car accidents that have, uh, uh, just for the pain and suffering portion of the value of the claim, have been over $100,000. You know, put that together with income loss claim, where somebody now can't earn income or has an issue earning income, you're talking about cases that are worth into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even millions. So chronic pain in itself is a disabling condition for some people, and insurance companies must be told that this is in fact the case, and they must pay. 
Three hidden injuries from accident. What kind of compensation you can get? Number two and number three are coming up, but we'll take a short break first. In the meantime, take this number and contact information down for the uh, for the future for sure. Toll free number to reach Savan and his team anytime. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And email is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show. Hang on. And we're back on a Friday evening here. The Disability Law Show. Savannah Tamarkin is always ready to talk to you. He's got a great team behind him as well. Just make the phone call. won't cost you anything to pick it up and say, hi, need a bit of uh, basic information to get rolling here, guys. Toll free, 1-855-821-5900. You can go help at disabilityrights.ca. And for uh, free questions and answers about LTD, real simple to use, searchable database, which is nice, called My disabilityquestions.com. We started to get into our three hidden injuries from an accident and, uh, you know, what kind of compensation you can get for them. We just covered chronic pain. Number two, Savan, is psychological condition slash injuries. Give me some details on that as well. So, I mean, this is not something that is really, it doesn't defy common sense. But again, I say hidden injuries because sometimes they develop and sometimes it takes time. I was just yesterday, uh, you know, with a friend of mine having uh, dinner, somebody I haven't seen in a while. And he was mentioning to me how many years ago he was in a very, very terrible car accident. Uh, and he sort of brushed it off, even though it was a brush with death. Uh, but what happened was there was something, again, he, he got together with a few friends of his uh, who were involved in this accident uh, just a few months back, and it they started talking about it, even though it happened all these years ago, and they understood at that point, he understood the trauma that actually that this, this brush with death caused. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because oftentimes in car accidents, people develop certain conditions, either immediately or later. Uh, fear of driving, anxiety, depression, uh, PTSD, very, very yeah. common, certain phobias. These things, again, can be very disabling. The problem is insurance companies, again, oftentimes take the position, well, there's no proof for that. There's no objective. They always like to hide behind the word objective uh, medical documentation or proof that this is what you're experiencing. So what I tell people is whether it's chronic pain, psychological issues, uh, you know, we're going to talk about uh, traumatic brain injuries, TBIs. These things need to be documented, or at least the symptoms of these things and the treatments for these conditions and injuries need to be documented by your doctors. So the more documentation you have, the more you're showing that you're getting treatments and you're getting help and you have specialists, right? Not just your family doctor. I mean, family doctors are great, but you need specialists for many of these conditions. Uh, The more of that you have, the more the insurance company is going to have a tough time arguing that these are hidden or invisible or somehow there's no proof for these kinds of injuries and conditions. But again, I've had cases with people who suffered psychological trauma from a car accident especially where someone else, a loved one is injured, maybe fatally, uh, oh, yeah. but even more so, you know, when you have situations. It, let me give you a very simple example. Let's say you have a, a fairly big car accident uh, for you, John, God forbid, but let's say it happens to you or to me. And let's say there's a result of the accident. We weren't injured, but it was a brush with death and we now suffered PTSD. And somehow this PTSD now seeps into everything we do. And you know what? I can't function now. I have difficulty doing my job. You have difficulty doing your job. The reality is that is an injury. That is an injury that is not preventing you or limiting your ability to function and to work. To the extent that you suffer the loss, not just the actual trauma, but now income loss and many other losses perhaps, maybe you need somebody to help you with things around the home, that's claimable against whoever caused the accident or whoever contributed to that accident. You understand? It, yep. it, we have to look at it in, from the standpoint of compensation. Is the person injured 
whether it's psychological, whether it's chronic pain, whether it's any type of injury where we can substantiate it by way of, you know, treatments, documentation, uh, uh, diagnoses. Although, again, some of these things are not diagnosable. Sometimes, you know, there's always new diagnoses that come up. There's always new types of, of conditions that doctors are, are coming up with that they're seeing for the fir- not for the first time, but they're under- starting to understand. So my point is insurance companies simply do not have a monopoly on saying this injury is worth money, this injury is not worth money. No, that's not how we look at it. We look at it in terms of the degree of either incapacitation or or limitation, impairment that you have now suffered as a result of the injury that was caused by the accident, which was caused by the person that the insurance company is insuring. All that is to say, John, the psychological injuries can be very, very debilitating. Anybody that's had depression, anxiety, PTSD can speak to that. And the reality is that these these types of psychological issues, even though they're quote unquote hidden, because you can't see them on an x-ray, uh, they are compensable at law. Uh, every case is different. So that's important to understand as well. That's why I tell people I need to speak with you directly. I need to understand the context of what's happened, uh, to what extent it's limiting you, what are the progn- what's the prognosis from your doctors, what treatments you're going through, right? So we can have a custom-tailored kind of approach to advising you about your rights and the kind of compensation that you may deserve. And some of these, I mean, not that physical injuries can't last a long time, but some psychological injuries, they can be lifelong at that point. That you might never get rid of it. Of course. You compensation for a great length of time, right? I'm sure you've run into well, that situation. Well, of course. Yeah. For sure. If anything, I think there is an argument that many physical injuries, oftentimes we know that those things can get better. The problem with psychological injuries, and we see this all the time, we saw it with COVID, is that there is an overlay. It's not just a psychological part of it. It's now there are other stressors, uh, whether it's at work or family or other things, that if before you were able to function with them, you were able to deal with them, because of this new condition, this PTSD and everything else, it stacks on one another. You know, and there's only so much weight that can go on anybody's shoulders. Some people are able to deal with stress, anxiety, depression differently than others. Of course, people try and get help, but again, this help only goes so far with some people. So you're absolutely right. Uh, these kinds of conditions oftentimes stay for the long term. And I think from what I hear, at least from the treatment providers, it's sometimes a bit more complex in terms of trying to forecast, well, when is Johnny going to get over his PTSD? Right. When is he going to be able to get over his phobia? That's very, very tough to assess. Yeah. Third one of this, we're talking about hidden compensation you can get for accidents is TBI. Break that down for me. TBI, traumatic brain injury, or MTBI, mild traumatic brain injury. I'm just going to pull up on my computer here from the Brain Injury Canada website. Uh, and up here I see the word concussion. And what they're saying is concussion is a form of traumatic brain injury that happens when the brain is shaken within the skull. It's also known as mild traumatic brain injury, but does not typically result in structural brain injury identified on diagnostic imaging, such as a CT or MRI scans. Uh, the term mild does not diminish the impacts that concussion can have on your health and activities of daily living. And then it goes on to explain a bit more. Now, the reason why this is important is because I've had many cases that I have, in fact, taken over from other lawyers where the lawyers have not seen through you know, the medical documentation because there are certain symptoms. If you were to Google mild traumatic brain injury, concussion, you will find out that many of these people end up uh, getting better. But in some instances, people do not or they plateau and they get to a point where they're still f- they're able to function at a certain level, but they're still diminished in their functioning because there has been a brain injury. 
The problem is that many times it's either misdiagnosed or it's not even diagnosed at all. I had a case, incidentally, a few years back with one of my colleagues at my firm. We took over this case, um, this lady who had actually tripped and fell on a pothole, hit her head on a car that was stationed just uh, nearby. And she suffered a concussion. But the lawyer that uh, had started the claim for this lady, we, when we looked at the claim, when we saw the the actual documentation that was filed, uh, it mentioned nothing about brain injury, nothing about traumatic brain injury, nothing about concussion, nothing. The lawyer simply said, these are the symptoms, uh, and treated it like a chronic pain type case. Again, not to diminish chronic pain, but traumatic brain injury is a very different injury. Um, and, and so when we started delving into the medical documentation, speaking with some of our experts, we understood the severity of the case. And here what he, here's the problem. This is really important to understand. Because that lawyer already started the claim, he was already engaged with the insurance company for the plaza owner where this lady fell on the pothole. Here's what people need to understand about the way insurance companies operate in a personal injury matter. The first instance that they get word of an injury, they try to assess on their end what is the impact, what, what kind of injury the person suffered, what is the impact of the injury, uh, prognosis. They're trying to get this information. Here's why. Insurance companies need to put aside a reserve, a certain amount of money that could potentially resolve the claim, settle the claim. So if you're dealing with a case where the insurance company, at first instance, assumes or assesses the case as being worth, let's say, $10,000 in terms of value, but really the lawyer screwed up and really the case is really worth a million dollars. And then we come on the scene and we present that to the insurance company. The insurance company is now in a bind because they had made, they had put aside a reserve of $10,000. Maybe they can stretch that to 20,000, but not to a million. And what that does is it creates now havoc within the insurance company. It creates a problem from a, from a, a claim resolution process. And that's what we had with that case. We ultimately got this lady what she deserved. But it ended up impacting, you know, the course of the claim because the lawyer that first handled the case screwed up. He didn't present the case correctly to the insurance company. And, you know, one of the reasons why we know this, other than from experience, is because I used to work on the other side. I used to tell insurance companies, put aside this much for reserve. Put aside 50000 or 100000 or 10000 or a million. And whenever I had made a mistake, not that I would admit that I made a mistake, John, but whenever <laughs> I did, perhaps when I was really young, it impacted the way that the insurance company was able to deal with the claim. It ties their hands in many ways. Don't ask me why. It's just the way it is with the insurance industry. But my point is, that was an example of, first of all, thank God that we came on the scene, I think, or at least a firm like ours came on the scene because this lady could have gotten at the end of the day a fraction, maybe five cents on the dollar in terms of what it is that she was supposed to be getting in terms of money. Uh, by the way, she, she has never healed up properly from this injury. She's never gone back to work. She's always going to be permanently disabled. Uh, and it's because we were able to diagnose her. And then we went to the right experts. We got the right people, the right doctors. And we built up the case. By building up, I mean we presented it the way it ought to have been presented to the insurance company with with uh, a, a brain surgery uh sorry a, a a brain injury expert with with a forensic accountant to to assess the income loss uh with a future care costs expert to talk about all the various things she will need in the future so many many things we did many many things in order to make sure that the case was presented correctly if you don't have a firm or a lawyer that will do that for you first of all you will not know necessarily if you need that, only the lawyer can assess unless you have knowledge of this industry. But if you do not have that, you are at risk of, at the end of the day, putting in your pocket a fraction of what you are entitled to from the insurance company. 
So you must be very careful, which is why we tell people, John, we'll speak with anyone at any point about any case like this for free. We want to give out this information. If you want to hire us after, no problem, we'll be happy. If you don't, that's fine too. We're not going to pressure you as long as you get the information that you deserve to make a proper decision. And with that, we are done. You're allowed to carry on into your weekend. But a reminder, you can reach out to Savan regardless any time. He's got a great team ready to talk to you with your personal matter. It's uh, it's easy to do so. one 821 5900 Website is disabilityrights.ca. And you want to send along an email, we have help at disabilityrights.ca as well. Enjoy your weekend. We'll catch you next time here on the Disability Law Show.